0: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: If you're listening to the Chasing Tails Outdoor Podcast where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back everybody to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt and I'm joined by my my co-host, Chase Dude, the monkey's off the back. I've got a, a cooler full of deer. You guys heard kind of part of that story last last week. It feels really good to have gotten on the board a month earlier than I did last year.
2: Yeah, man, you did. You went to a state you're familiar with. Your That's where your roots are in hunting, and that's you right. were able to get it done on some public land in Georgia, so that was awesome. And you got to hunt with uh, Greg Godfrey from tethered as well. So you had a great trip. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it, it was kind of cool. You know, I, I feel like in the past years, I've said a lot of times to people here that I feel like my skills exceed what I'm able to produce in this area. And it was, it was kind of a bit of a point of pride to be able to go back to Southeast Georgia where I grew up and step foot on a piece, of a piece of soil that I've never been on before. And to be able to strike a deer in three in well, three and a half days. That really felt good. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and lie to you guys. It felt really good.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, I bet it did, man. Cause yeah. it, it took you, a, well, at least a while on the public land down here. You've had success on some private parcels yep. uh, in your area, but uh, it's it's not easy, especially for the, the state of Florida. There's a lot that you got to learn and try to figure out, and the deer just don't really follow a lot of the, your normal patterns that you would find in other places. No, there's just so many different places they can go. There's nothing that really makes them go certain ways. And, and last year I don't, you had like no acorns. So it was just, they, they could be anywhere hitting browse. So it's tough.
1: It is, it is. It, you know, last year I got that doe, you know, the, the week right before bow season ended. Uh, So that was like mid to late November when that happened. I think it was November 18th actually, Um but this year has been a fun one you know we we did that episode early on in the year where where we predicted that this year would be a good one for us basically we had a lot of fun things coming on and um you know i didn't didn't harvest the deer that i shot the first time but technically i drew blood within 10 days of the start of of deer season in september in georgia and uh my season hasn't really gone according to plan here in Florida yet, but <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a grind. Craig Croom was texting me a minute ago, and and uh, we were hoping to meet up and and uh, swap out some SD cards. And I told him I wasn't going to be able to make it, and he said, "Just remember, it's a grind. It's a long season." And he's right. I got till February here.
2: Yeah, yeah, you got you still got a long ways to go, um, yeah. and I keep reminding myself that uh i've I've had some encounters uh unfortunately, I had the issue with the the buck on public land, yeah uh, as well, and it's more of I'm kind of chasing a different class of deer, so that I gotta remind myself that too like those opportunities just don't happen every time you go out <laughs> and <laughs> it it's just uh it's something that I know that some of these bigger deer that I'm chasing um are a lot more killable in like the December time frame Um, right right now it's I mean they're they're kind of all over the place just because Florida's Florida's rut's so weird (laughs) it's hard to pattern what they're doing but uh I'm looking forward to my Iowa trip which is coming up in a week I'll be headed to Iowa and then I can get focused back down here and uh, maybe get on a couple of these uh big bucks that I'm after
1: yeah, that's right. So kind of give everybody a, like, you, you've been getting on some action. I mean, you had some, you sending me videos the other day. Kind of give everybody an update of what you're seeing over there. I mean, you're definitely getting on deer.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, our black powder season uh, for zone C just started uh, yesterday. And I went out to a traditional spot that I always kind of go to. It's more of maybe it's like an observation sit, but it, it definitely can be a kill sit as well, just because you can see. Uh, So far, and it's really good for the rut um, because if bucks are chasing does, then they're going to chase them across uh, this area. And yesterday morning started out kind of slow, but then the action kind of picked up and I saw four different bucks um, out. Two of them were actively pursuing does and there were a couple that were on kind of either following a doe or they were on the trail where the does had been chased um, before. A um, couple of them, I've I got a bunch of footage with my cell phone. I might be able to make a video out of it. Um, I thought I was going to be able to uh, use my camera in this uh, <laughs> tripod setup that I have, but I got my kit, broke my kit out, uh, of course, the night before uh, and realized that they sent me, they sent me like two different sets of bolts and it's kind of like for um, to go around a, like a rail. It's like a rail mount. And they sent me five of one set of screws and three of the other set of screws. Well, it takes four, and of course, they sent, the five they sent me was the wrong size, and I need to go get a fourth <laughs> screw to be able to use that for the mount. So I was bummed out about that, and I really wasn't able to stick the GoPro uh, anywhere either. Um, and I was like, well, I'm just going to use my cell phone when I can. And I got quite a, quite a few, I got, I think I got three out of the four bucks on my cell phone and one of the bucks, like he was chasing does and, uh, running them a little bit and got does that were right on me that I got some video of. So it, it was pretty neat. So I may just make a video out of it. Um, cause th- there is quite a bit of footage uh, yeah. from it. Yeah. But it's yeah, that's what, they were, that's what they were doing yesterday morning. Uh, I hunted yesterday evening. Kind of in the same area, and it was real slow. Um, I did see a bunch of it seemed like yearlings, like they were just like single does, but they were all small out just kind of roaming around feeding. uh, Which, usually to me, that's a sign of the rut for sure, is they've been abandoned for right now because mom's out with a a buck somewhere. And uh, I went this morning, and it was kind of a ghost town. I went to a, a different area. Uh, didn't, I, I didn't even see a deer from the stand, uh, this morning, <laughs> which, uh, wasn't super surprising for that area because we're in Florida. So in that area, a lot of the chasing and stuff that I see normally happens like that first week of November, first, second week of November. And on this other property, which is only like three and a half miles, four miles as the crow flies from it, uh, most of the rutting activity is now like it's like late october um through maybe the the first uh week of november so which is it's always kind of weird to me how that that can be the case three or four miles apart but (laughs) it it seems like it is uh and um and that's all i've got for right now i mean i've been on a few bow hunts seen deer uh been getting on deer just hadn't been getting on the uh the quality of deer Um, that I'm looking for. And a lot of the bucks that I've kind of been after uh, it's been a lot of nocturnal movement that I've seen and they're, they're spread out. Um, I'm catching them on my cameras, but with no consistency, uh, like time of day or anything like that, other than it's, it could be like five o'clock in the morning, or it could be 9 PM um, and not in the same areas. Like I may catch one of my bucks on a camera, on the far north side of the property one day and then two or three days later he's on the south side of the property um so to me that just means they're out they're cruising a lot um looking for um does and they're not moving a whole lot in the daylight at least according to
1: my cameras you got a a ways to go at any point in time you could be on that hot doe it's it's kind of weird right because one of the things we talk about is the fact that these those deer can be just about anywhere um the rut kind of helps keep them moving but how 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 many days or how long do you think it takes before all your does come kind of come through their cycle? Uh, to
2: me, it seems like it takes uh, probably a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, or maybe a little bit longer. Um, it, it seems like that's how long uh, from when I'll start seeing chasing pretty good um, until you don't re- you're not really seeing that activity anymore, and you're right. not seeing like. Like, sometimes on your trail cams, you'll see, like, a doe on the trail cam, and then all of a sudden a buck shows up, and you can tell that he's bumping her around a little bit in those areas. And sure, I'll see that for probably a couple of weeks, um, maybe a little bit longer. And then about a month later, uh, I'll start seeing it again
1: in those areas for the does that didn't get bred. How do your, um, how do you, how do your bucks act during that little window between the two two periods?
2: Uh, it, it it really kind of uh, depends. Uh, in some areas, they're they're real aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll start fighting. Uh, we did notice a buck the other day. Uh, it was a really good eight point. Uh, he's already broken off one of his sides. Really? Um, yep. Yep. Just completely broke off the one side. He's only got four points on one side now. Um, <laughs> and last year, I noticed that there was a bunch of fighting going on because um, it seemed like. Once November kind of hit, there was a lot of bucks that were broken. Like they were either missing tines or part of the rack, uh, which was, I was like, man, where's all this fighting going on at? Because I never hear it or see it. You know what I mean? It's not something that you encounter a lot uh, during, uh, while you're hunting in Florida. Although the other day, a buddy of mine said that he had two bucks uh, fighting in front of him. It was right before daylight. And he said they were fighting right in front of him and uh, he said it was insane. Um, he said it sounded like you t- just took two uh, paddles together and were just hitting them together as hard as you possibly could, um, and it lasted for a little while. Um, he said. So I was like, man, I was like, I've been hunting in Florida for uh, going on 14 years now, and I've never really seen like a, a knockdown dragout fight between two bucks. Um, I've seen them sparring and stuff on camera. And then every now and then I've seen some small bucks kind of tickle the antlers together, but I've, I've actually never seen a fight uh, between bucks in Florida, but I know they do because they show up broken uh, <laughs> quite a bit, uh, especially on that one property uh, that I hunt and they'll be out. It, it just depends. I mean, they're out, obviously they're out kind of cruising around. I think a lot of these older mature bucks, Uh, locked down with does early and Mm -hmm. that's why they're so sporadic and you're not really seeing them on the cameras uh, as much anymore and they're just not really on their feet as much um, chasing because they're they're mature now. Uh, They know when the does are pretty much ready so they're not (laughs) as uh, eager as some of the younger bucks that are just going to be out running them Uh, To run them, they don't know why they're running them. They just are, (laughs) Uh, and the does are having nothing to do with them. (laughs) That's how it was yesterday uh, when that buck was chasing. It was a, it was three does, and it was almost like a stair step group of does. It was like a real mature doe, uh, one that was probably a couple of years old, and then one was a yearling, and they were all in a line. They all pop out in a line, and uh, I can see him kind of looking back. I'm like, oh, there must be a buck behind him and sure enough, here comes this buck, and he's. He's hauling butt, running, and they go into some separate set of woods. And then about 10 minutes later, he bumps them back out, and they're all running all over the place <laughs> trying to get away from them. Um, so, I mean, that was that's always fun to see. Um, you'll see, like right now, you'll see a lot of those small bucks doing that. Um, today when I left my house, uh, I was actually going to grab some lunch. And there's a few deer around my house, not very many, because it's kind of a lot of wide open like cattle pasture and right. things. But there are some little isolated pockets of woods. And we're driving down this road, and I just look, and there's this buck. He was he was maybe a, a four point, and he was in there was this person's yard. He was in this yard just I could see him running circles with his nose on his ground at like twelve forty five in the afternoon. I couldn't see a doe or anything, but he just had his nose on the ground running circles. Then all of a sudden, I see him catch like a, uh, something, and then boom, he was, was hauling butt uh, the other way. So these little ones will be out running a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't see a lot of the big ones chasing too much until a little bit later. I think when they start to run out of those first set of does right there, um, right when they first start going in, they'll be out a little bit more uh, looking. But right now they're just, they know the ones that are ready and uh, it doesn't take much for them to get locked down with one. Interesting.
1: I, I, I wondered, I've always kind of wondered what it's like, because I think, I think we have a pretty, um, obvious, like first and second rut here. You know, we've talked about this on the podcast, you know, last year in middle, middle of February, I got a a buck breeding a doe right here behind the house. And, you know, the rut here is supposed to be mid-January. And so... I think one of my tactics next year is going to be, you know, mark three weeks from whenever the the quote unquote peak rut should be on a piece of property and get back in there like it's you know like it's the rut because you know the season runs through the end of February for me and if mid February I've got bucks breeding does I I think I need to kind of consider February a viable month for for uh, whatever does are straggling because I I first off I think the buck to doe ratio is out of whack pretty badly here in favor of does and and also I just I don't think all these does come into heat anywhere near like the same period as all the others because you'll last year dude you and I are hunting in mid-January I think it was mid-January when you came up yeah and I had groups of like five and six does just walking around acting like they would never been harassed no signs of distress yearlings with them and it's like either the, the the rut's like way, way past already, or you haven't really got fired up yet, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, I've seen some of that on some of the properties that I hunt. Uh, there'll, there'll be some, like I said, there's a bunch of yearlings out by themselves, and then on the other uh-huh. property, there's a big group of does still together, not acting nervous, or... Uh, anything like that. Uh, Normally this time of year, they're walking around with like their tails tucked between their, (laughs) between their (laughs) legs, like real skittish looking back, (laughs) uh, waiting to be harassed by uh, whatever buck bucks are in the area. And uh, so it, it is interesting. And I forgot what I forgot to mention is on the piece of public that I'm hunting, which is, I don't know, probably 40 minutes from my house. And I hunt pretty close to my house, the areas that, my private areas that I hunt. They were running hard a couple of weeks ago. Um, oh, really? The day that I shot at that buck. Um, I mean, he was out cruising and there was, um, we saw several other bucks out cruising and another one that was dogging a doe um, a couple of weeks ago. So uh, well, over well, there, it seems like it kind of is a little bit earlier than it is even where I'm at.
1: So, so break, break down what kind of briefly for everybody, since you're kind of in it right now, what does your rut strategy look like or what areas are you targeting and why?
2: Well, it kind of depends. Uh, Mainly I'm hunting the rut now with my muzzleloader. So I've got my muzzleloader out. I can uh, reach out a little bit further uh, than I can with the bow. Normally I feel confident with my muzzleloader out to about 200 yards, um, so I get in some good areas, uh, that I know are good, but I try to stay back a little bit and, uh, just places that I can kind of observe more in areas that I know that there are big groups of does. Um, I'll start kind of focusing on those where the doe groups are, uh, and where that, cause they, they kind of hang out in the same areas most of the season. And, uh, that's when I'll try to get close to, uh, doe bedding areas and areas that I can see and, uh, look for, uh, any signs of, uh, chasing or the the bucks are running them. I'll, I'll be checking the roads, uh, a lot. I mean, roads are a lot of times good places to hunt. I know some places you can't on public necessarily hunt a road, uh, with a gun. But uh, other areas, I'll look for, because you'll see tracks in the roads. Like once I start seeing a bunch of running tracks and things like mm-hmm. that in the road, um, then I'll start, um, I know that, hey, the, the rut's getting close. And sometimes I'll just, I'll even just set up in them roads. Um, sure. Because no. if they're out there running them in the roads, then heck, I've I've shot deer in the roads before. So... <laughs> Yeah, and, and some of those big doe bedding areas are near roads. So they'll, they'll right. bump them out of there, and then does will get on the roads uh, so they can run a little bit easier and get away from those bucks. And then the bucks will be in tow.
1: Yeah, I think, I think that's going to be something that I enjoy this year is getting up in areas where I can see a distance. Because this year will be the first year that I return to really uh, seriously rifle hunting. And there's a lot of areas where... <laughs> I think will serve as bedding areas. Like there are some pine flat thickets. In fact, wherever where I killed my doe this past year is a prime example of this. I probably won't hunt that close to the road just because everybody will see me. But, um, you know, there are these, these, these pine thickets with a good heavy browse underneath that are directly adjacent to swamp bottoms and that harsh transition line that occurs there. I probably never would have hunted that with the bow just because, there's nothing to funnel those deer there, right? Like I, I don't care to see something at a hundred yards if I can't kill it. Right. But with a rifle, I could see myself going and, and, and focusing on some of those areas. And, and I think that's those, those will serve as, you know, prime areas for bucks to acquire and chase does, you know, visually speaking, I think they can find those does, they can run those edges, let those thermals pull down through the flats if they haven't found a deer, uh, or, or, or rather, if they aren't on a deer, I think they can let those thermals pull across those flats. They'll go downwind of them, um, and I kind of, I kind of think that I'm going to find some success uh, doing that this year. I think uh, I think hunting with a gun in Florida is almost required. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you will have some success with that. Like we've mentioned
2: before, is these deer don't use the same trails every day. Right. Uh, Yeah, I've seen like where I was at yesterday, it was one of those things where one day they may pop out a trail 50 yards from you. And then the next time you hunt, they may be all crossing a trail that's 125 yards from you, or they may be all crossing the North one day and you're expecting everything to cross the next day from the North. And then everything's crossing to the South of you (laughs) that day. (laughs) Um, So I think it, you just got to kind of stack the odds in your favor a little bit (laughs) in Florida uh, when you're there isn't a whole lot to to funnel them. Yeah, and yeah, and and I think guns.
1: I think the what I've learned with trail cameras this year has been remarkable. Um, and that is you can find incredible sign, <laughs> incredible trails. I'm talking just trails that you look at and you're like, God, they have got to be walking this every day for this to for this to be here. Like, it, there's just there's just no world in which a deer isn't frequenting this all the time. And I've hung cell uh, cell cameras and this has been the most remarkable component of it is you'll go, you know, you might get three buck photos and then you'll go weeks without a deer photo. And then all of a sudden here comes a a group of does down that trail and they just, it is so difficult here to find something that requires them to, um, to, to use the same spot because they've just got so many different avenues. It's not like we have, I almost wish we had more clear cuts, Chase, where, (laughs) where, you know, they felt so uncomfortable that, you know, it would funnel some of their movements. But um, you know, you're, you're kind of finding a good food source, finding an area you think they might be betting on and then posting up and watching from a distance and kind of hoping for the best. So rifle hunting I think this year will will, will bear itself out and I'll be able to do an abundance of evening hunts, you know, here close to the road in the National Forest.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that that's and that's kind of where it's at. Um, and one of the rut strategies that I really didn't mention is you just got to put time in the stand. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> the more amount of time you can put in the stand during the rut, obviously the better chances are that you're going to see a deer and, uh, hopefully be able to harvest one.
1: Yeah. So you
2: got to put sure. the time in. So, I mean, if you're only going out a couple of days during the rut, then you're really not getting all out of it, uh, that you can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and if you're only going to go for a couple of days, it might be it might behoove you just to go ahead and make the most of it and do all day sets and be done with it. Yeah, you know, I mean that's it's kind of a no brainer in that regard. Um, but you know, talking about early season tactics, uh, we just got back from uh, Southeast Georgia, and I have a burning desire to get a certain guest on the podcast after this. We've talked about it a lot. I've talked about it probably more than you have. I want to get Warren Womack on the podcast because. <laughs> I did something this past week that, um, it's one of those things where as a, as a, as a hunter any, any time that you have a craft or something that you're, you're working hard, you have these like little breakthrough moments. Um, dude, I found a hot feed tree and not just like a, a, a feed tree with, with, with food underneath it with sign. I'm talking like the kind that Warren Womack has described and it was remarkable how insistent the animals that wanted to use that tree would be because when we're in southeast georgia um finding deer sign wasn't hard finding daylight active deer sign was quite difficult um in fact i think i think greg saw a deer the first set of the of the the hunt then didn't see anything until almost the very end of the hunt i didn't see a deer until i found that feed that feed tree um I actually almost overlooked it. In fact, I told Derek while we were there, we were scouting this, this block of timber. It was a water oak. And the remarkable thing is, I've always been told that deer won't eat water oaks. You know, if there's, if there's something else out there, right? If there's a white oak dropping or a live oak dropping, that the water oaks are the last resorts. The funny thing was, there were white oaks dropping 100 or so yards from me, and they weren't. there was no sign under them whatsoever. In fact, there were acorns all over the place, but this one water oak... The leaves and all the pine straw and everything around it were raked back. And I told Derek, I was like, dude, that's just turkey sign. <laughs> that's tur- Those are turkey scratching. And I was wrong. It was deer and hog sign where they were coming to this tree throughout the day multiple times. Um, it, it was kind of cool. I, I think we have to have Warren on because now I feel like I can ask him questions maybe in a little more intelligent, uh, maybe intelligent fashion.
2: Yeah, we do need to get uh, Warren Womack on. Uh, I've heard him on just numerous podcasts. Uh, he's, he's always seems like a good guest. He's got a ton of stories. I mean, that's what the basis of this podcast was, was stories. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that he has a good approach, but one of his things is, is a lot of scouting. Yeah. He puts a lot of boots on the ground, and if he's not finding the sign – Uh, that he thinks he should, then he gets down and he spends pretty much the whole day scouting until he finds something like you found, and then he sets up on it immediately. Um, So I think a lot of people uh, need to hear from someone like Warren uh, to kind of have that confidence of, I need to set up on this now because this feed tree may not be good next weekend when I can hunt.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and that's really what it boiled down to was, you know, we weren't, we weren't seeing any deer, and I had I had three and a half days to hunt. I think it was three and a half. I think I can't do the math myself. Three and a half, four days to hunt, and we did a lot of scouting. In fact, one afternoon while Derek, Greg, and, and Greg's cameraman were hunting, I spent the whole afternoon, I just didn't feel good where I was at. It just didn't feel right, and I spent that whole afternoon, another four hours that day um, scouting, and finally just eliminated enough ground that I went back to where this water oak was. But while I was setting up this morning, I went in there kind of blind. Um, When we had originally scouted this tree Thursday morning, I went back Saturday morning to hunt it. Um, When I went in there, we picked out trees for a southern wind because the following Friday when I was potentially going to hunt it, it was a southern wind, but the wind had shifted uh, out of the northeast. So I went in there like, you know, screw it, I'll find a tree there was food dropping. There was deer tracks down there and actually fresh scrapes as well. So it wasn't like there was there was a lack of sign. It just, when we scouted it Thursday, it just didn't, the, the pieces didn't connect for me. It just didn't feel like it was the place to be. And Saturday morning I go in there, speaking of, blew several deer on the way in, which was like, huh, okay, well, as I got close to the stand, I started busting deer, I was like, okay, that's... That's good. And I started busting hogs. I was like, okay, that's good. But as I was setting up in the tree, I mean, actively climbing the tree, I had hogs come to the base of the tree that I was in three different times, three different Mm -hmm. occasions. They would, they would cautiously approach the tree while I was in it and would start feeding at the base of it. And then when I would make a movement that they they just, they just couldn't uh, tolerate anymore, they would bust off about 50 or 60 yards and stop and stomp. And I would would keep climbing. And eventually, I'm sitting in the tree. They are directly downwind of me. They can smell me. But they were still actively trying to get to that tree. And and mind you, 100 yards away are live oak acorns sitting on the ground. Bigger, larger, probably easier to digest. They desperately wanted to be at this tree. Mm -hmm. And it was remarkable to me to see something that you don't fool its nose, right? Like you're not going to fool a deer or a hog's nose but i knew those hogs could smell me they they're walking over my ground scent in fact they walked up next to the to the e-bike that i had ridden in there and sniffed it they just wanted to be at that tree and that was like the first and only time that i can think of that i had found a food source so coveted by animals they were willing to override the fact that i was in that tree that they were trying to feed under
2: right yeah um that that is kind of strange <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't know maybe maybe they were just getting a just a slight whiff of you or something. That's uh, possible. Maybe it just it wasn't strong enough to them they it would maybe just kind of hit them just a little bit. and They'd kind of spook a little bit but like oh wait a second. Maybe they right. thought it was like it's further away than I think it is or something or like you said maybe it was it was just so hot that they were, they were willing to chance it. Yeah. Before I something mean, else
1: could get to it. I, I the tree was was perfect cover at twelve feet. I'm sitting twelve feet off the ground. I'm I'm, you know, as they're approaching the tree the first time, I'm eight feet off the ground. I mean, like I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm there. They're seeing me. It was the only thing I can think of is is maybe the combination of it, it is certainly possible that they smelled me and they just decided that that the food source. You know, they had cover of darkness. Maybe they felt like they could get in there and, and eat. um, I think it's also entirely possible that the ruckus that I made at the bottom, you know, I wasn't clanking things, but I was walking around. It, it Maybe they also thought I was a hog initially. So that they kept, you know, they thought that there was, you know, there, there's they know there's a, f- a per- food for, a food source there. But then, oh, I hear something over there that sounds like a hog. Um, so, you know, maybe it's safe. But, dude, I even had a doe. The doe that I ended up shooting that afternoon, um, which, don't let me forget, there's a really, like, interesting, like, <laughs> how, how, how close that deer let me get to where it was bedded earlier that day, part of this. But even that doe, as she came to the tree, she came downwind of me, um, almost the entire time from like 125, 130 yards out. And I, you could tell she was catching a whiff of me and maybe the thermals weren't, or maybe the wind wasn't doing quite what I thought it was chase, but she would just kind of like bop her head up in the, in the air. She, she would like throw her nose up in the air and she would catch a whiff of me, but she kept looking at the base of that tree and, and she was just making this big circle around the tree and just cut in at 20 yards. Um, I, I genuinely believe that there was some reason why those animals felt confident enough to come to that tree uh, despite you know daylight movement, despite maybe smelling something. I think they just really wanted to be eating at that tree um, and they were kind of willing to risk it for the biscuit.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's a possibility. Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't really found any of those trees where I'm at right now, because mm. um, it seems like there are their acorns are kind of they're sporadic a little bit, but they're are they're more and more dropping, starting to drop like every day. And right. I noticed that uh, there was a lot of deer sign in the roads. Um, there was a bunch of live oaks dropping in these roads. And I did kind of notice, I'm like, I think a lot of these deer, and it could be, I'm sure it's at nighttime or whatever. Um, they're spending a lot of time there because like I said, the, the dirt was kind of churned up. There was a tons of tracks in those areas. And they're just dropping, uh, these live Oak acorns, uh, in the roads. And I, have found other acorns, and I'm like, man, how come they're not on these acorns? You know what I mean? It's kind of like a right. mystery. It's like, why aren't they on these as opposed to these uh, live oaks? I would figure that they would want to be on these oaks more, and they're just not. Um, I wish I knew the answer to why they just prefer some trees over the other. Um, it, it would definitely help out a lot, but uh, <laughs> it's kind of strange that they would be uh, that eager to get to that tree. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it was it was remarkable. The sign under that tree. Once I started, you know, once that morning, once those hogs kept coming back and I'm just sitting there like raking my head, racking my head, rather raking my head. Lord, I'm racking my brain trying to figure out, like, why are these hogs keep coming back? Why do they keep coming back? The sunlight comes up. Of course, they don't come back during daylight. <laughs> right. That, that's just, just too much to ask. But uh, they, the, the sunlight comes up, and as I look around around my tree, the base of my tree, and the two trees that are around me that were dropping, very, very close proximity, there was no leaf litter around the base of, the, of any of these trees. I mean, genuinely, it looked like you had raked the forest floor back. Um, there were there were caps on the ground there was there was not a single uh, acorn to be found on the ground anywhere um, which is why originally I disregarded it as just turkey scraping because there weren't even like um uh, like like acorn husks or shells or anything like that to 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 be found where maybe something had you know been chewing them up and had fallen out their mouth they just they had just been sucking that vacuum that that forest floor like a vacuum and when you heard the hogs coming in you could just hear them just crunch 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 crunch, crunch, crunch. I mean they were just they were just vacuuming the forest floor it was it was quite remarkable I, I don't know that I've ever seen a preferred food source like that before where they were just genuinely I, I, I guarantee if you put a, a cell camera up, your phone would just explode with photos because they'd be there all night long. And I bet you, as, so long as there wasn't a human right there in that area, I bet you multiple times a day, those, those animals are coming back and hitting those trees. It, it, was, it was really cool. The, the squirrels were there. The, uh, the uh, raccoons were up in the trees. It just seemed like that area was alive. And that was kind of one of the things I did today was as I walked these bottoms... I'm trying to replicate this and I'm listening, right? Listening for squirrels. I'm listening for all kinds of, of animal activity because that area in Southeast Georgia that I hunted just felt like a a hub of activity. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: it's nice when you can find that. And yeah. now if you've kind of figured that out, you hopefully you can replicate that down here and, and find some of those areas. Um, I know there are... Areas like that out there, I just haven't really found them this year on the properties that I hunt. Sure. Um, and, and some of the and even some on the private, like if you get a hot feed tree, kind of like what you're talking about, um, and you have people, they're putting out corn and feeders and stuff like that, they'll abandon those feeders and corn mm-hmm. and they'll be on those mm-hmm. hot feed trees. Um, yeah. Which, which kind of is like, whoa, why are you abandoning this? But they will. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they'll just turn off of it. And you're like, what happened to all these deer? And then you realize, well, they, they've found, there's a hot feed tree somewhere and that's where they're at. And that's (laughs) where you need to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I don't know that you're going to find many of these. I think when I, this is one of the reasons we need to have Warren on here because you and I were, we're hypothesizing the man lives it. He could tell us for sure, Walter, you're being ridiculous. Of course they didn't smell you or, you know, you know, I find one of those per thousand acres, but you know i i think that oftentimes this is going to be entirely subjective to if that that oak tree even holds acorns right like i mean i may right. have found a honey hole that once every 3 years is a honey hole <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think i think the the whole scouting as much as you can as often as you can is really going to pay off because you know you're going to come up with probably i'd be willing to bet you chase if you start looking for dominant feed trees on your property you'll probably find maybe a half dozen or so and every so you know every so many years they're just going to cycle through and and those will be your hot trees but i think if you're not scouting a bunch throughout the season i think this is really where the beauty of what warren does and even dan infault and other people that that in-season scouting it seems like they scout way more than they hunt um, I think I'm going to have to try and work more of that into my, into my, you know, I mean, it's what I did today, but I think I need to work more of it into what I do because it it kind of was remarkable what I found. And it was only because I scouted probably about twice as much as I hunted that trip.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of your scouting is going to, is going to lead you to more like high quality sits. Yeah. And instead of uh, hoping you're actually hunting. <laughs> I hear yeah. that a lot. It's like, <laughs> dude, don't go hunting, hoping, <laughs> um, go with a purpose. And if you don't, and if you're going to go hoping, then you should probably shouldn't hunt. You should probably scout right. and, and find sign and go, okay, yeah, this, this looks like this is where the deer is at. This is where I'm going to come in next time and, uh, hopefully get on some deer as opposed to just like, oh, well, I, can't, I didn't really find anything. I'm just going to set up here Uh, for the day where if you would have spent the day scouting, you may find, uh, where a ton of scrapes have opened up rubs. Mm -hmm. There's a a hot feed tree within a hundred yards of it, some good bedding. And you're like, man, if I just would have spent another couple of hours scouting, instead of just sitting in this tree, whatever, a thousand yards away, then I would have had a better chance uh, at taking a deer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, I think that's a great a great thing that you just touched on, you know, hunting, hope, would you say hunting, hoping (laughs) while you hunt? Yeah. I, well, I just said that don't go hoping, actually go hunting.
2: Right. (laughs) Instead, if you're just hoping to see something or kill a deer, then you're not really hunting. I mean, it's more of just like, Oh, I'm just trying to win the lottery today. Maybe a deer will pass by me, but more (laughs) than likely they won't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's going to probably be, my mantra moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate you, uh, donating that to my cause. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that's something that I noticed was, you know, I didn't feel like I was in a good spot. I didn't feel like I was in the money and, and I just kept scouting, but here, here's, here's, what's kind of cool about what happened with that scouting. So, um, after, after Greg opened my eyes to, to, to e-bikes, which I can just tell you right now, if you don't have one and they're legal where you are, you need to have one. Um, Unless you're just one of those people that you walk like 200 yards off the road and hunt everywhere that you, that you, that you, you know, your private property or even your public, if you've got those opportunities, don't worry with it. But if there's any, anybody out here who, who has long walks in hot, humid environments or or environments where you just don't want to walk that far. An e-bike is absolutely a godsend. It's, it's unreal, but I get down at lunch. I was going to do an all-day hunt, and then Derek didn't like where he was that evening, uh, for that evening hunt. He had put in a morning and an evening and only saw a little forked buck and a doe. And so I got down, and on my way back to him, he had to tear everything down and meet me at the road. I ran down one of the pine rows that um, was right in front of me. So basically... Think of pine rows running north to south with a water oak right in the middle of it. And as I rode down this trail, I noticed this real big thicket to my right. And this thicket to my right happened to be where this doe and the buck and the button buck had gone into the morning before and never emerged on the other side. So I ride the e-bike down this trail, make a big loop, come back down the same very trail. I'm only make maybe 20 30 yards from this small little thicket that's off to my left. a very, very small isolated pocket of, of, of brush and go get Derek. Come back for that evening hunt and out apparently, uh, you know, seemingly from this thicket come the buck and the doe. Everybody knows how the hunt went. I shot the doe. We find her in the brush, the blood tracking armadillo story. And I just think it's remarkable that that deer I believe that deer had gone in there embedded bedded in that thicket. And I think it was there when I rode that e-bike by her. Because it, no matter what direction you looked outside of that, there was no real suitable bedding cover. It was all real open canopy. They had just come in and clear cut it. But this one area where there had very clearly been a bed before, I think because I was on that e-bike, I don't think I spooked that deer. I think it was just odd enough to her. Like just outside the norm. Maybe it sounded like a breeze. Maybe it, it just, I don't know what it sounded like to that deer, but it never spooked that deer. And I am firmly convinced that that button and buck and that doe were sitting right there in that thicket the whole time.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They probably were. Um, I mean, I recently got an e bike uh, a few weeks ago, and I've noticed just even driving around uh, in the woods with it, I'll see deer feeding and they don't even lift their head up to look at me going by. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there, there's definitely <laughs> something to it uh, that it, the whatever the noise is, it's not an alert type noise. Uh, it's not enough to bother them. Um, I'm sure uh, I always kind of use it as a lot of times deer, like they'll see a vehicle going by and they'll look at it and they'll pick their head up and look at it. And as long as the vehicle keeps going, then yeah. they do nothing. They just kind of <laughs> go back to doing what they're doing. The second you slam all them brakes, To see what's going on, they're hauling butt. (laughs) Um, But with these e-bikes, I I haven't noticed uh, anything with the deer. Um, Even the e-bike, there's been a time where I parked it like real close to where I was. I've had does come in. Um, They'll look at it strange and they'll kind of check up a little bit and maybe go around it some. But I haven't had one like start blowing or start Mm -hmm. stomping or anything crazy like that. Like they'll kind of look at it. It's like, Oh, wait a second. This wasn't here yesterday. I'm not sure what it is, but it doesn't really look like it's harmful. And, uh, I've just had them kind of skirt around it a little bit and, uh, do nothing to kind of disrupt the hunt. And, uh, I actually bought me and my buddy, both bought e bikes and he's been taking his out. And there's been a time where he actually just rode his pretty much straight to the stand. Uh, he was running late, Lay, laid the e bike down, and he said the doze passed it and didn't even give it a second look. It just kept going.
1: That's awesome, man. So that's think, really cool. I think
2: if, if if whenever we throw around the term like game changer, the e yeah. bike is definitely a game changer. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if I get any uh, thing from anybody saying, "Oh, yeah. use the word game changer."
0: It, <laughs> it, it is. It definitely is. I mean, we,
2: if you can get a mile back in yeah. Florida during bow season and you're not sweating to an area, uh, it just makes it so much more enjoyable. Um, when, when you're setting up, getting in the tree, um, you're not trying to like cool down. And then when you get down from the stand, you can, ju- you can get back to your vehicle a lot faster. I mean, it just saves so much time. And when you're out scouting and you want to go back a mile and you just zip back to that mile, then you get down and do your scouting. You get back on your bike, zip back and you're saving, whatever, 45 minutes to an hour of walking that you probably would have done um, to get back to those yeah. areas. Yeah. So it's just such a big time saver. And like I say, you're not spooking deer. You're not leaving ground scent on the ground. Uh, I think there's just so many advantages to it. And uh, I, I'm, that's why I'm glad I got one. And it sounds like you're about to uh, purchase oh, an yeah. e-bike. Oh, I mean, you oh, got yeah. to ride it around for that one little weekend <laughs> and we're sold on an e-bike like almost instantly. Like, oh, yeah, I remember my God. you texting me, Like your first time on the e-bike, you're like, dude, e-bikes, I've got to have one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, dude, it was 70. So the the first time I rode on one, it was a high of 87 and a low of 76 that morning. It's 76 degrees, and I'm perfectly dry when I get to my tree. I was like, what is this? Like, (laughs) this is this is garbage. Like, it made hunting in hot weather feel bearable again. Don't get me wrong, I was hot when I was in the tree stand, but it was two miles to where I was hunting. If I had walked that, I would have been drenched in sweat.
2: Oh, yeah. And just riding, I, I've noticed even riding with it, with my backpack and all my gear and stuff on yeah. it. Yeah. Like, you don't feel the weight of the backpack. No. Nowhere near as much as you no. do actually walking.
1: Uh, it, it, yeah.
2: It, I'm just like, man, this is nice. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's really cool, dude. It's it's. um I think it's one of those things, I, I think I said this on the last podcast with Greg, I genuinely believe, like certain things do change the game, right? Being able to hunt just about any tree out of the saddle, the, the, the weight minimization of a saddle, whether, you know, that's obviously, I'm going to catch hell from somebody who, who doesn't agree, but there are certain advantages. I don't know, outside of the thermocell, I don't know of an item that has so radically improved me as a hunter, I mean, I, I can't, when I look at the e-bike and what it provides for me in my situation, again, if you only walk 200 yards, this probably, you're not going to feel the same way, but in my situation, it's going to leave less sin on the ground. I can scout more efficiently. I can check trail cameras more efficiently. You got two hours in the afternoon. You, there are places that I've got trail cameras. I don't have enough time to get in there and get out in two hours. That's how deep some of these areas are. But with an e-bike, I could get in there and out in no time flat. The ability to go and 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 mitigate your scent in the tree in hot weather—I mean, it just—it seems like it elevates every component of being a hunter in the woods, uh, in, in this in this part of the country specifically. And I just think it's one of those things that you would never ever look back and be like, mm, "I could have done without that."
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean. S- There's no doubt about it. Uh, I would just wish I would have gotten mine years ago. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Although they were a lot more expensive years ago. I mean, now there's more companies out that have them, so you don't have to break the bank, right? uh, Like you did originally. I remember first looking at them. I was like, "Well, four grand for an e-bike? They're crazy." (laughs) But (laughs) I probably thinking back now, I was like, "Man, if I'd had that e-bike for ten years, uh, it'd cost me four hundred bucks a year." (laughs) Right. Wouldn't have, uh, would have been sweating. But now, heck, there's e-bikes out there that you can pick up that are $1,500, $800, depending on what you want. Some of them are foldable. You can throw them into your vehicles. And we're hoping to get somebody on to talk about e-bikes for yep. a, a whole separate podcast.
1: Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I can say now that I have lined somebody up for that, um, at least one somebody. I've reached out to several different companies. And uh, we're going to have someone come on and talk about e-bikes. There's a lot that goes into e-bikes. Um, I slept on them. I did not give them the, the, the time of day that I probably should have. Um, I will have one soon. I Chase, I think what we should do is you'll have a full season into yours. There'll be a lot of things that you can you could probably pass on education wise to the listener. I'm buying a totally different style of e-bike than you are. Uh, it serves a totally different set of purposes. I think what we should do is get together, shoot a video, and go over your e-bike and what what you want done, what what modifications you might make, and compare it to mine, and kind of give everybody like a holistic like here here are the two different polar, uh polar differences you could go with.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're two different price points. So yep. de- depending on what your situation is, what type of vehicle both you very have. R- Both
1: very affordable price points. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. They're both, they're both uh, super affordable Yeah, uh, in my opinion. So yeah, yeah it, 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 that would be kind of cool.
1: Yeah. I think it'd be, I think it'd be a good fun time. And so dude, why don't we, uh, kind of wrap this up here. We're coming up on 50 minutes and I think, uh, whenever you and I go off, it's probably good to keep it to about 50 minutes because otherwise it'll be a three-hour podcast and, <laughs> and no one wants to listen to us for three hours.
2: Yeah, we, well, unfortunately,
1: we we had we were trying to line some guests up for this week,
2: but nothing yeah. ever really clicked with anybody's schedule for this week <laughs> in particular. Like, we yeah. got s- somebody lined up for next week, and uh, I think the week after that, it was just this week, there was nothing kind of lined up, and we still wanted to make sure we were getting something out once a week like we've been doing for a while now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, it's and it's I, been months I, since we've missed a week. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it has, so I'm happy
1: with well, that. Let's go ahead and, and, and send everybody off, but while we're doing so, if you enjoy the podcast, if you enjoy the content that's coming... Uh, that down the pipe, and you want to support the show, check out Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors. It's a crowdfunding way. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's a crowdfunding way for us to travel, for Chase to go to Iowa, for us to, to have hosting fees and invest in camera gear. That money goes right back into the podcast. And depending on your tier, you can get stickers and hats and shout outs on the podcast, as well as get entered into our four Quarterly giveaways of which we're giving away an Alps Pursuit pack, a set of 20 or er, yeah, 20 inch Titan straps, and a Scree Kaibab 170 Merino top, bottom, uh, top and bottom for you. And if you want to go save some money at Scree, you can use the promo code CHASINGTAILS, all caps T A L E S. And you'll save 15% off your order. So uh, go support the people that support us. If you want to support uh, the podcast directly, Patreon is your source. And most importantly, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors.